everybody, and welcome to the Pre-Accident Podcast. I am your host, Todd Conklin. How are you? Are you good? Are you doing really well? Is it a super good day? Those are sort of patronizing questions that I'm asking in a patronizing way. I don't mean to sound that way, but I'm kind of in a good mood. So what's going on? Well, today's podcast I think you're going to find very interesting. I did. I will tell you that today's podcast presented an idea that I had never in a billion years uh, in unlimited amounts of time thought of, or probably never would thought of, think of. Oh, it's stupid English. All these tenses, they're so difficult. But uh, somebody did and shared it with me and didn't just share it with me, but showed it to me in context in the midst of an investigation on a relatively significant event. And I was pretty impressed by what came up with that. That's the tease for today. You're going to enjoy that. I think that's going to be kind of fun. Uh, I'm trying to think if I have any good airline stories for you. I do. I have kind of a interesting uh, one where um, uh, it was the uh, last seat in the plane story again, and uh, and so the person has to sit by me, but they don't kind of want to because I'm really scary looking and they're really important and they won't fit there. And these two coworkers walking down the aisle together, and um, the coworker in front of the coworker behind him says, uh, "You know." Um, we're going to have to take a middle seat. And the person behind said, well, I'll sit right here. And the guy in front said, I'm sure you can find a smaller person to sit next to. And I turned to those two people and I said, you realize, of course, you're saying that out loud and that people can hear you and that I heard you. And uh, it created kind of an awkward moment. I think my goal was between you and I, to encourage them to continue looking for other middle seats. <clears throat> Excuse me. That seemed like a really good goal. But uh, it became kind of a teachable moment. And they really dealt with, right there in the airline seat, uh, their sense of class and status and importance and who they were in the midst of all the rest of the traveling public. And it all worked out fine. And the poor person had to sit next to me, but it wasn't a bad trip. And, you know, I was careful with my elbows and everything went really fine. But I've decided in a nice way to coach people into being nice again, because I don't know what's changed. But the last year or so, people seem to be kind of more rude than they used to be. And I don't know if I'm sensitized to it differently. I mean, I don't don't have a lot of information, you know, empirical research. I don't have a lot of data. But I've decided you could either sit there and take it or you could actually, in a very kind way, uh, help them understand in a coaching mechanism that that is probably not the best way to make an impression when you're going to ride on a plane for three hours with somebody. Just saying. That's all I'm saying. Other than that... Um, Man, I can't wait for summer. I'm just, I can't even wait for it. It's, it can't come fast enough for me because I'm really itching to get the outside TV turned on and get the lazy boy, the, they're outdoor lazy boys. Don't make fun of me. Uh, all aligned, you know, and, and get the fire pit ready and the grill. Well, the grill works all year, but summarize the grill so I can, you know, get it ready for some entertaining and having some good times. I, I got that all planned out. The weather um, just is not on the same schedule I am. And maybe you could say, well, you know, maybe you should move someplace where it's warm all the time. Well, that would be nice. 
but then there's bugs and stuff. I got to have, you know, low humidity, low bugs, nice weather. And I do like the variance of the seasons. I mean, without complaining. So that's kind of where I am. Um, Man, lots of exciting and interesting books are out right now. And it's kind of fun to see all these these books around the kind of the new view, the systems reliability stuff. And I'm getting a lot of requests to do author interviews from the actual authors. So I'm going to try to get a couple of those guys on, uh, guys and gals actually on, to uh, talk about the books they're writing. And I think that'll be interesting and fun for us to listen to as well. And the normal stuff, you know, there's 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 a great cast of characters ahead. I'm especially proud of um, the podcast so far this year. I, they've certainly been interesting. And there's been really fun people. I got to tell you, um, uh, all of them challenge me. Some of them actually leave little dents in my brain that I have to process longer and longer. I thought the Chris Hart one a couple of weeks ago, um, that whole idea that data is the fuel and collaboration is the engine, is a really, really interesting and cool way to think about what we do. And it does kind of meet the test of the new view. Instead of treating workers as the problem, you collaborate with workers to actually create the solution. And, man, that's that's a powerful, powerful tool because they are smarter than we are by a long shot, at least on the processes that we have to work with and interface with uh, often. So that's always good to know as well. And I think you're really going to like today's podcast. Uh, I know I teased it a little bit earlier in our conversation before we start the, the, the actual pod itself, but I don't know. This Jeremy cat, he is a... He's young and experienced and daring and brave and smart, uh, clean and reverent, because I added the last two parts of the scout uh, law. I got that in there pretty early. He's also, um, he's out there doing the work we do. And, and to me, the best conversations we have are with people who actually do the work. And what Jeremy did is he took the the blue line, black line model, which is, for those of you that don't know the blue line, black line model, it's it's work as imagined versus work as actually done. And so work as imagined is often coded just as a black straight line. You know, it's 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 an ideal state, perfect procedure, perfect weather, perfect people, perfect training, perfect product, perfect process, no variability. It is it is a world without friction. It's the perfect world. The blue line often looks like a sine wave. And kind of wiggles around the black line. And what the blue line represents is reality. And I talk about this a lot because the interesting thing to me is that the ideal state for work is just that. It's an ideal state. It's not real. It's made up. It's a fantasy. I can't think of other words for it. It's imaginary. Oh, that's another word. It's, 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 it doesn't happen that way. And so the only line that really is real is the blue line because the blue line reflects all the over uh, exposure and underexposure that a worker has to the process, to the task they're about to do in the actual process of doing that work. And the crazy thing about this blue line that wiggles around the black line is that it almost always leads to success. In fact, following the black line without the notion of being able to adapt to variability would certainly lead to failure. So the blue line becomes really interesting because it's the story of how work gets done. It's also, by definition, the story of how failure happens. 
And you have to be careful not to think about the blue line drift, the drift away, the deviation from sort of the normal as the recipe for failure because it's not simply the recipe for failure. It, it does reflect failure, but more importantly, it's the recipe for how workers adaptively handle variability in a complex work environment. That's kind of the blue line, black line story in a nutshell. So we use it all the time. We've been using it forever. Uh, it's, 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 I, I mean forever, like uh, probably 15 years, may, maybe even longer. Um, and the blue line, black line is sort of become coded words among practitioners of work as imagined versus work as actually done. That's all it is. It's a teaching tool. I've never thought about it as anything other than a teaching tool. And it's not even a very good teaching tool because it's very one dimensional because it's usually on a sheet of paper or in a book or on a slide. You know, in reality, if I had a fancy pants projector with lasers and uh, super good sound, I would make it all sort of shoot out in all dimensions, up and down, sideways, back and forth, right? It, it, because it's a, it needs to reflect, compl- reflect complexity. But, you know, you basically got a sheet of paper or a projector, and so it kind of looks kind of one-dimensional. I have never in a million years thought about using it like a timeline, although it certainly would work. Now, timelines are not my favorite either. Because timelines are constructs that happen after the event happens. So the thing you know about timelines, and I've talked to you about it before, is that a timeline only exists after the event. Before the event, the timeline that you're using to accurately reflect what happened and where it happened and who it happened to, it didn't exist. If it existed, I promise you the workers would look at it and say, holy crap, we're really close to the explosion. We better stop at block six before we go to block seven, which is near death. Right. So we construct that timeline in retrospect and it becomes really a way for us to process information, to code information on sheets of paper, in investigations, on reports, on audits and in our head. So a timeline is limited and it's always manufactured. It's created. It's constructed. But it's very interesting to take the idea of the blue line, black line and actually create a timeline that tells you what should have happened. And in fact, the way Jeremy used it, it tells you what happened the way it was supposed to happen. And then it starts to give context for the deviation with little blocks of information on the timeline. You almost have to see this to understand it. But once you see it, and you'd only have to see it for like a second, you would completely get it. I mean, it's it's not terribly complicated. To be really honest, I just never and I never thought to use it this way. My bias was it's a teaching tool. Jeremy said, this is a pretty complex, um, this is a complex accident. It's, it's a bad one and it could have been way worse. And it's, uh, it's surprising. And, and, and that context is important as well. So he's in a room full of, uh, he's, he's put together a, a group to learn about this event. And he's in a room full of varying levels of experience of artisans and craftspeople that actually do this work. And they talk about the failure. And what amazed Jeremy, and quite honestly, amazed me when he told me about it, is that all the people who do this work for a living, normal pros, these are experts at doing this kind of work, were surprised that this outcome was possible. They, they were actually surprised that that much energy could exist in the hazard. 
And because they were surprised, and he's right, when you see smart people surprised by data, you're in the presence of some powerful data. You, you need to pull the string on that harder. He said, just by definition of the context of the situation, he thought maybe we should look at what they thought would have happened and look at actually what happened and try to understand the variability of that process. And in this case, Jeremy was working with linemen. And the event happened because they were moving a piece of wire, a rather large gauge piece of wire. And I don't know if you know this. Many of you are going to who listen to the podcast. But wire always keeps spool memory. So you could put a power line up and 60 years you could take it down and it would still coil up. That, that, that energy, that spool memory they call it, that never really goes away. And what's amazing is, is that spool memory is actually energy that is pent up. And when you release it, it must go somewhere. That's physics. Thank you, Isaac Newton. And in this case, when they released it, it struck a worker in a remarkably, remarkably serious way. So that's kind of the context of what's about to happen now let's listen to the podcast. So without much further blabbing, because I'm feeling a bit blabby right now, let's take some time and listen to Jeremy Casena. You're going to like him, and he's going to talk to you about what it is he does to understand the blue line and black line as a part of accident investigation. Oh, okay. Uh, I'm Jeremy Casena. I don't know, what do you want, like the whole introduction? Yeah, this okay. is... Like we would your, normally do in the room here? No, no, give us your background and, and okay. uh, why why people on the podcast would think you were compelling and interesting. Because they're giving up their beautiful lifetime <laughs> right. to listen I'll to you. I'll sell myself without and really people, selling myself. Some here. people might actually even be in the bathroom while they're listening. Yeah. So you just have to kind of okay. So, yeah, um, uh, Jeremy Chasena, um, I'm an employee here at Pacific Gas and Electric. I've been with the company since 2005. Um been in safety um, for let's see when did I well I, I I started really my story starts really in the field I, I started as a, a, a meter reader believe it or not uh, here at the company but really took to safety um, became very active in grassroots um, from there my director at the time kind of voluntold me to really kind of take on a full-time role um, in safety and so from there I just continued to just uh, apply myself and um, learn more and more about, uh, you know, what safety professionals do. And from there, I moved into a corporate safety role, into a, a full-time field role. Um, from there, just really started to pick it up these evaluation skills, um, being asked to be a part of um, evaluations for incidents that happened and occurred in the field, um, working with people who have done this far longer than I have. Um, I found a real interest in just um, uh, it's weird to call it joy doing this, but it's actually kind of really where I find a lot of satisfaction here um, with spending my time and make kind of feel like I'm actually contributing and making a change. Yeah, so what's satisfying about what you're doing? Um, I joke, but I'm kind of half kidding and, and half not that I enjoy being right. And what I mean by that is they're a, with a large company and when uh, an event or an incident happens, there's a lot of assumptions, opinions, um, just hearsay about what happened, what should have happened. And I enjoy being part of uh, a team and a group 
that is there to really validate, verify, and then learn and understand what happened and really break through that noise and then make sure that then what energy and calories that are going to be burnt and spent on uh, how we're going to you know, improve moving forward is actually addressing what is actually of a concern and what, what actually happened. So what are you doing now? Right now, at this no, like, no. I mean, <laughs> job wise, I know what you're doing right now. Uh, so right now, uh, I'm a, uh, a my official title is a safety incident investigator. Even though the investigator word kind of scares me as far as what I tell crews if I meet with them, because I don't want to put them on edge as to thinking, "What are you investigating?" Right. Um, but really, you know, when it comes down to it, I lead causal evaluations for serious injuries or fatalities, um, also events that had the potentials to be a, uh, either of those. What's it like to be a part of a team that just specializes? What you do is investigations. I mean, yeah. does it seem luxurious to you? or well, For uh, you, it's kind of normal. It's like yeah. frogs in boiling water. It's definitely interesting. You learn a lot because I, I support you know multiple lines of business that I'm not an expert in. Um, it's not you know the line of business that I came up out of. Um, so I get to learn from subject matter experts. Um, it is very involved. Um, Luxurious? I wouldn't say so, no. Um, we're not always the most popular people in the room when we are really kind of drilling down to what the real uh, factors are and what really learning what happened. Um, people sometimes have a preconceived notion on that, and they think they already have the answer when they're coming to the room and they're the smartest person. But really we're the ones to kind of say, no, let's slow down, let's be curious, let's learn, and let's, let's have this discussion actually – you know, doing a, a learning of the of the incident before we get there. How interesting was it being a media reader? I mean, did you just <laughs> did you peek in people's windows? What are you doing? I mean, I don't. Uh, it was a, a great job. Um, I, I loved it, and um, you get you see a lot. You do. You're out there, literally boots on the ground, every meter, every panel, every home, every business. Um, so. There's no shortage of stories, and that would be a – talk to any meter reader who's done it more than five years. I did it for um, about ten years. You, uh, you could have a whole hour podcast on just stories of just things that you see and come across out in the different areas you read. Gee, Jeremy, I think we should do that because, <laughs> I mean, that seems super interesting to me. But there's a reason that um, we're together, and it has to do with really what you're doing – around learning and investigations and really more specifically how you're coding information um, from your investigation on paper, on a whiteboard, how, you, how you're mm -hmm. sort of categorizing and moving mm -hmm. information. And one of the challenges for people who don't do investigations is that you have to think of a way to symbolically represent events, rep symbolically represent the events that have happened. And our tendency is to really kind of fall back on the timelines. And so there are many different kind of timelines we use. And the problem with timelines, before we go too far into this discussion with Jeremy, is that timelines are an artificial construct that are created retrospectively after the event has happened. And so the timeline we construct isn't real. It didn't exist before the consequence took place. It only exists after the consequence. And yet in the same breath, it's vital – to how we understand failure and success, really, and how we chart failure and success. And that's kind of where we are, and that's what you're doing. So talk to us about um, what you've done, because I think it's really quite 
remar- it's, it's not something I ever thought to do. And so that's why I'm very interested in, in talking to you. Yeah. Um, and it, it honestly kind of um, it almost surprises me to hear you say that, that you've never thought of it because really it's based off of your black line, blue line model. Um, it's directly relates to that. It, it does borrow from a few other things. Um, that HVAX is one that we talked about. Uh, a comparative timeline, um, which is a pretty popular and familiar analysis tool as well. Um, it's kind of a melding of, of all of those uh, analysis tools that we, we kind of use, but putting them into one tool. Um, so let, let me talk a little bit about the black line, blue line model is really a drift and accumulation model. The black line is work as perceived, ideal state. The blue line is work as actually done. And the black line and the blue line are always different. You can look at them like a resonance model or you can have the blue line drift away. It can go above the line. It can go below the line. And it's all an attempt to show the variability of operations in relationship with the belief of how operations should happen. The problem is is it's kind of one-dimensional, but we kind of get around that one-dimensional part by making the the blue line kind of curvy and it moves up and down and it moves all around. So that's that's kind of that black line, blue line. Uh, Tell us what you did. So uh, we we really just start with just the the black line, just the the basic timeline of what quote unquote you know work is planned looks like. Um, be that and you know with it could be in two different types of scenarios. Sometimes we do have a, a process, a procedure, a standard, or training that tells us what that looks like, and so we'll meet and and have those individuals who who uh, govern and, and own that help us paint and lay out that timeline. Sometimes, though, there there isn't a procedure for the task. Um, and from there, we'll just have a, a group of field employees, experience will bring them in to help us then establish what that norm, that work normally looks like, ultimately both when they're successful, meaning that they just start to finish, um, no incident, no safety incident, no, no error that will uh, cause it to drift from the work being completed in a safe manner meaning that all employees are able to leave uh, work that day as they came. Um, After we do that, we then want to establish um, kind of what actually happened. So what actually happened in the incident that we are um, evaluating and and wanting to learn more about how how it occurred. So that blue line that curves either um, what the employee's action either over exceeded what normal planned work looked like or sometimes would quote unquote underperform, meaning not really what ideally you would want the employee to do. We'll put that intermingling through that black line, um, so that way we visually then see throughout that the the event where they were at, um, uh, as opposed to the comparatively right, in like a comparative timeline as to what should have been quote unquote planned. So let me let me see if I have this. The black line would be a timeline of what was supposed to happen, and the blue line is a timeline of what actually happened, and it can cross over, interface, wiggle around, if you will. The black line, that's, I have to tell you, I think that's exactly what the black line, blue line model wants to do, but I've never thought about putting events on it like that. In many ways, Jeremy, you're brilliant. (laughs) I mean it, brilliant. No, I mean, honestly, it, it, I took it from uh, from your presentations and, and the models that you've had, um, and then also just you know working with timelines and various like you you, you mentioned earlier. There's there's different types of times out there, causal factor charts and 
uh, expanded timelines, ones that you've showed us. Um, but this one I really like just to see the linear kind of logical progression of things. Um, but then the, I think the real aha moment too kind of also came within with the HVACs where um, not only are we kind of just putting the specific actions that were taken, but wherever there was a specifically more an underperforming um, aspect of it, we will then um, use the, the HVACs to classify it, to define it, to, make, to, to see at what level the, that, that action was and what specific type of action that the ploy took, perceptual error, you know, um, you know the, you go through that list. But underneath there, we establish as well the hazard line. And really, those are going to be um, more often than not, and again, we're still working on this and we're, we're drafting these as we go, but what, we're, what I'm finding is that it's more of the preconditioned things, not actions. So it's physical environment, um, their physiological state, mental states. As that timeline goes along, we get to see, as uh, in, again, in a progressive way, where the employees or employee is at and follow the red line as it eventually, if, if it's an actual, if this was a, an event where there is an injury, where they eventually connect and meet. And really, when you step back and you look at it, it just makes so much sense. You, you get to see if you, just like in any timeline, where do we maybe need to look a little bit more? Did we get everything? I mean, it just, you, you, it's, a, it's a lot, it's a fun tool. I just really think it's a fun tool. What cautions do you have? Can you do it wrong? I mean, have you, have, have you had to go back and correct? What have you learned? Maybe that's a better question. Um, well, the one thing that I learned, I was like, why, one that I'm, I just, did right now that I'm actually still working on it and then I'm drafting. I'm like, why is my blue line not exceeding? I'm like, they've had to do something that exceeded the, the normal work because I this is these are experienced employees and more often than not, that's what happens. And then I realized, oh, that's because for the work that they're doing, there is no established standard or procedure. So their black line, their normal work, is always just going to be a straight line. They're, they can't really exceed it per se because they just do what they do. It's ancillary kind of work that they're doing. It's not really, you know, to write a procedure would be overkill, obviously, for what they're, the work that this crew was doing. So that was kind of interesting. I had a little aha moment. Like, you're not always going to get that, that over-performing. Uh, um, Really, that aside from now, that's kind of the only big one because I felt like maybe I'm doing something wrong. I was like, we should see something go up, but that's kind of the only aha I'm seeing right now. Well, it's interesting because when you're taking this concept and moving it, really advancing this idea of drift and accumulation by combining it with HVACs, which, by the way, strikes me as a really effective way to use HVACs. I, to me, what's going to be interesting, in fact, it's kind of an aha moment for me, is that work that has no standard, work that has no black line, there's no process or procedure for this. It's all adaptive. It's all improvisation because it happens all the time. Or it's skill-based, so they just do it. Well, you're never going to exceed the expectation because the expectation is what the work is. And then that becomes – then the blue line becomes really this, this nonlinear or wiggly, twisted – bent blue line and you, you can still show directions positive and negative even in the work they're doing that's remarkable mm -hmm. so um how uh how hard has it been to do this i mean is it is it a cautionary tale or is it a micro experiment and try one and see what you come up with tale um i think it's actually pretty intuitive once you just kind of understand what your your, your end goal is i mean it's you know you're, you're wanting to see um 
to learn the event, learn what they do as opposed to what they normally are or should do or were required to do. It, it it's pretty straightforward because you start to understand. Well, let's just let it let that blue line go where it goes. Um, understanding that you're capturing all the the, the precondition hazard factors, you're you're putting all of those underneath. Um, I think what it does though to what you were just speaking of, where there's work that there there isn't. You know, it's easy, especially for those uh, uh, who are still kind of struggling to move away from just wanting to quickly find the deviation from a procedure where really there's really no value there. With this, though, what it does is shows you that even with that, where did we learn something new? It You see, you visually see the curve, and you see that this, all this right here is maybe the, the employees or the company or us as a department. We didn't understand that this, right, this is that significant of a risk or a hazard um, because what's interesting with this one is we're finding out that while they, the 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 dip in the blue line, there was some ag- acknowledgement or, or the they, there was a uh, identification of the hazard that was underlying there, just not to the severity that it presented. Um, so then the subtlety there is like where we see the why it connected this time, why this time was there a a, a hit right. Um, because when, when we gather that they identify it as a hazard, just didn't re- maybe respect it as much um, as as it should have. So it's it's you you could get some subtleties and some intangibles there too. And it must work really well for describing local rationale because. So I really like the fact that you learn where to learn. Gosh, that's actually really valuable. But also you you understand the rationale for the deviation. So they deviated away from what was expected or what imagined. But you now have justifications built in and actually use the HVACs to support those justifications for why that local rationale existed. What are you learning there? Yeah, that's what – and it's – again, it's the subtleties. I mean it's really – it. I think uh, with this one, I – without getting into all the details, I I was a little nervous with this one uh, trying to think what are we going to find? Like what what can we really learn from this and what's going to be the – the, the understanding coming away from this saying that we've learned something from this event. Um, I think without this, it would have been a lot harder to then land on that subtlety, um, you know, working with uh, field employees who do the work, um, on a, you know, who are experts and do this regularly to help them establish, have them help me and the team establish that blue line to then stand back afterward. You know, we've gathered that from them look at it on that uh, analysis chart and can then just kind of see that little like, oh, this is this is that little difference in this and this part of the job where, you know, that made the difference for this event and could make a difference in future events. Is management it looks different. It's a different looking product. Yeah. So is management supportive? What do you th- are you worried about that or not worried or what are you uh, thinking? You know, uh, I think because it, it's not not really. In a short answer, no. Um, I, I, I'm not. What's interesting, like I said, I've, uh, I found this to be a, a a more advanced version of a comparative timeline. And I think comparative timelines are great. They help you kind of sort through those 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 moments. But this one, I think, is so much more visually impactful and captures so much more information than a comparative, just doing a simple comparative timeline would have done. 
One last question. What's the most interesting thing you saw as a meter reader? <laughs> Uh, that's oh, okay. uh, it needs to be PG thirteen. Oh, yeah, and everyone always says they when I tell the story they laugh and they I've had requests to tell the story but I'm not going to tell it in length but in short lions and tigers. <laughs> you can't stop there. Uh, and to you know let's let's see how can I expand it without taking all your time here. In short, um, it's a, a, a rural area route, very uh, private kind of piece of land. Uh, two gates kind of thing. Like you, you, you go into one gate, it closes behind you, go into another, you move forward. And, and I'm, I'm in a vehicle the entire time. And, um, well, apparently this person who lives there used to be uh, the like the tiger, animal, lion tamer or whatever. And I believe either, I don't know, at an amusement park or a circus, I don't know where. Uh, it's been so long and I, who knows how accurate the information was. But these were his his animals, and they lived there, and um, they were just roaming around. And uh, it was a, <laughs> let's just say our before that day, our uh, my biggest worry was always uh, loose dogs. It changed after that. <laughs> <laughs> thank you so much, man. This is excellent. I really appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you. That's the podcast. What do you think? I chatted too much at the first. Sorry. I, uh, I broke my time limit. I'm bad. I know I'm bad. But isn't Jeremy great? Man, that was so cool. I was so glad to sit down and talk with him. It was fun, too. Until then, my friends, keep listening. Tell your friends. Subscribe. And as always, do something fun every single day and learn as much as you possibly can. Squeeze into that little head of yours. And for goodness sakes, be safe. <laughs>